Welcome to Read This Fucking Book, episode 10, The Snow Queen. I'm Elena. I'm Rachel. And we are here today to talk about a novel called The Snow Queen by Joan Benji. Um, we will talk a little bit more about that. We can talk a lot more about that in a second. First, uh, I think we just wanted to say thank you to all of our listeners who have come back with us after our two-month hiatus. If you didn't hear the story, it's because Rachel's apartment burned down. And, <laughs> you know, excuse. <laughs> like that's, that's one of those things where life just had to had to come first for a little while before reading books at all, much less talking about them. Um, so for this episode, uh, bear with us while we remember how we do this and like find our rhythm and flow again. Um, but yeah, anything you need to add to that, Rachel? Uh, thanks for the mic. <laughs> you oh. replaced my mic, so that's why we're doing this. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you a big cheers. Yeah, because uh, this is a passion project for me too, so I wanted to make sure it kept going. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it, and it was a real fire. It wasn't like, oh, there was a fire. It's like, I don't have a place to live anymore. We had to move. It was a big fire. <laughs> yeah. What, what wasn't, what wasn't incinerated got covered in fire hose emissions and splooged yeah. to death. So yeah. Yeah. It's, yes, exactly that. And I had to say it that way because is this, read this fucking book or, hey, read this fucking book. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> And it, this is one of those those stories again. Is it a fucking book? Is it a fucking well, book? And you know what? In this case, we didn't actually know. So here's how we came to read this book. Normally, the premise of our podcast is somebody has read a book, loves a book, or feels it's really important, and the other one has not read it. And so you say, here, read this book. I need you to read this book. Um, in this case, I've seen this book um, on the shelf of Barnes & Noble for 15 years, 20 years. 25 years i don't know like it's had the michael whelan cover for a long time that cover has looked at me for a really long time but the description on the back of the book is fucking squirrely and never told me enough about it for me to be willing to read it so i was like you know i kind of want to read that book just because i like the cover rachel is this a thing can we do this yeah and i'd seen the cover too i mean i i also had never actually picked up the book because you're right it is kind of the description's a little like eh, i don't know it seems too heavy <laughs> yeah like too too heavy and and so like so non-committal as to be vague like the back of the, the the official description is something like you know on the distant world of tiamat the snow queen's power wanes and a young sybil threatens uh okay like so yeah. what the fuck is the book about like it's so <laughs> non-committal um before before i actually get into the into the what this book is about um just a bit of background on the book itself um it was originally published in 1980 it won the hugo award for best novel in 1981 and was also nominated for the nebula award for best novel in 1981 so this is kind of continuing our series of science fiction classics and kind of revisiting them um you know with the eyes of today um and uh just as a if you're wondering about the name um it is a telling of the snow queen fairy tale we'll talk more about that in a bit but the title was not chosen um randomly or haphazardly 
Yeah. So and I, anyway, I also think it's a we should shout out to Michael Wellen, who is the the artist who did the painting of the Snow Queen that we're both talking about. And I'm sure if you look at fantasy art or have looked at books in the fantasy aisle, you've seen that because it's a very powerful and beautiful image of a woman sort of like kind of halfway reclining on a on a throne uh, from like the side. And she's just wearing this beautiful snowy mask with feathers uh yeah it's it's great and a, and a cloak with feathers and it's like blue and white and silvery and it's th- this has been the cover since about like the early to mid 90s um it when i was actually looking at, at proposing this book to rachel i i found an article contrasting like the various covers this book has had and they're crazy they're crazy different um if you're bored and want something to google google the different covers of this book and it's schizophrenic like how different it, uh, it yeah, appears I think you can also see like the the evolution how they marketed books, yeah definitely like fantasy books to an audience and also this book because it was written by a woman and it's about women in 1980 in the sci-fi genre is probably they probably didn't know what to do with it when it came out quite frankly because at that time yeah. they didn't really make stories for women Yes, um, and I, I feel like the uh, the current cover is has stayed for so long for a reason, and it's because it really suits the book, and it's also just so beautiful and so striking. Obviously, it got us to both read it because of that image alone. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, total credit. All right. So all that said, Rachel, what the heck is this book about? <laughs> all right. Uh, the Snow Queen is a sci-fi retelling of the Hans Christian Andersen story of the same name. Uh, it's set on a planet called Tiamat. Uh, and it's habit- inhabited by two different cultures. Uh, they're the winters and the summers. The winters are kind of like technology embracing uh, culture. And the summers are more of a um, kind of old fashioned, idyllic uh, nature people. And they are locked in opposition. Uh, the planet is ruled by a queen, but her power is given to her by the galactic hegemony. And while relatively poor, the planet is a jewel to the hegemony because it is the only source of a substance that grants immortality to those rich enough to drink the water of life. That's a big theme in sci-fi novels. Uh, we come into the story near the end of Tiamat's 150-year winter. And we follow a summer girl named Moon and her cousin Sparks as they become embroiled in the politics of the Winter Queen's succession, as well as the ethics of how the water of life is obtained. During all of this, it is revealed that the planet is kept in artificial obscurity and technologically stunted in order for the hegemony to maintain control over Tiamat's valuable resource when they are forced to abandon the planet every 150 years during its summer period because it gets too close to the sun, I guess, and then they can't access their warp gates. So it's also a love story and an adventure story, and I put a note as it's something of a cautionary tale about the dangers of dualistic thinking. Yeah. It so, was uh, long. It, it it felt long, yeah. but... It, no, it, it, it straight up was long. Like, I, th- I yeah. think I texted you when I finally opened it. I was like, holy shit, estimated read time 11 hours and 54 <laughs> minutes, dude. I'm so sorry. <laughs> this, I mean, I'm like... Having read the whole book now, I get <laughs> why they're so cagey on describing it because it covers so it's much ground weird and as shit. Yeah, and a, and a lot of these things. I mean, they're spoilers and they're not. And like, I can see why you they like you don't want to talk about them, but at the same time, like a really vague pitch doesn't sell you on a book. So, like, I don't I don't know how I how I would have pitched this. We could we could always play some uh 
worst idea of all time and like pitch this book <laughs> yeah i mean i think i think that they didn't i think that they really felt like they could either do the whole like it's politics in space more of that mm-hmm. you know which was something that i think a sci-fi publisher would have been really familiar with in that right. time period but yeah. then there's also like the extreme drama and the mm-hmm. love story and all of that and the fact that it's a retelling of a fairy tale and yep. that is probably what they didn't know what to do with so they said mm-hmm. they just did nothing and made this weird yeah big yeah <sighs> And, and, and what's what's funniest about that is the Snow Queen is kind of an obscure fairy tale. Like I actually had to go reread it because, I, like, I, I put a message in our notes um, when I had first finished the book and was like writing up the things we wanted to talk about. It's like, what the fuck did this have to do with that fairy tale? Like, I remember yeah. reading it and I I don't recall any of this. And then like I went back and reread the fairy tale. I'm like, oh no, like this is literally that fairy tale. So you in say space. that, and then like I read the I mean, I mean I had to read a summary, and I'm like I still mm-hmm. don't get how this is. I mean I get like the super the super arcs where it's like a girl's love and her having to like find this this boy that had been turned against her and you know and like restore him. Like I get that part. But mm-hmm. I don't get like how the mer- how the mers. <laughs> like, okay, well, are- okay, <laughs> well, okay. So there, there are there's plot points, and then there's world building, and we do right. kind of have to separate those. So in terms of the world building, you're completely right. It had absolutely nothing to do with the traditional fairy tale. But in terms of plot points, it's two you know children who were raised together and are best friends, and you know if. In the fairy tale, they they start too young to have like a sexual like romance, but you know they're best friends and they love each other more than anything. And the boy gets taken away by the Snow Queen and like basically gets a splinter of glass in his heart, so he turns like cold and hard. And um, the girl goes on a quest to find him, and she ends up being trapped in a witch's garden. And the it's not an evil witch; she just it's a, lo- a lonely old woman who wants a child and is kind and benevolent and then she um because of the goodness of the girl and her sorrow for her lost love the the witch lets her go and like tells her how to proceed on her quest like where to go who to find um so then she like gets help from all these animals along the way and finds um a couple other people like in the fairy tale it's a finn woman and a lap woman and shout out to my uh, laplander ancestry there um (laughs) uh yeah if you ever want to know like what my family looks like just google like sammy or laplander and uh that's what all my family looks like it's awesome (laughs) it's crazy because i'm like a fourth and they all look like me i'm like oh my god that's weird anyway (laughs) um but uh so you know she has these other people that are helping her along her journey and then she finally gets to she's almost to the snow queen's court and she gets kidnapped by a robber by a band of robbers and like the little robber girl um puts her like takes her as a pet and they become friends and finally like lets her go again because the heroine is just like so virtuous and gentle and kind and everyone like falls kind of falls in love with her and wants to support her on this quest um to find her true love and um so she gets to the snow queen's court rescues the boy and they escape together and um presumably live happily ever after so okay so now uh, yeah. i know why the pirates were in the book because because they were fucking random as shit yeah yeah because i'm like i don't under- i mean i i was like i thought okay well the author must just be really wanting to do something that puts bz <laughs> and moon together 
but yeah. it didn't make any sense about why it was happening or why yeah. we had to go through all of like the sad animals being having like in the zoo <laughs> that were not being taken care of correctly. It was so weird. Yeah. So um, it uh, yeah. Like I said, in in terms of plot, it's it's the plot, and I don't know how I feel about that. I've I've been thinking about that for a week, and. Like, on the one hand, like, what she did with the world building around that, like, kind of knowing the story and what she did with the world building around that is fucking amazing. Because this is a crazy, like, world. It's, yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's a mind fuck. It's so cool. It's like a, it's like Dune level world building. Like, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, it's varied. There's a cast structure. There's mo- there's more than one planet. She goes, she goes fairly deep into the technology and how it works and there are like some like fun magical kind of types of technology like with the the musical control of the bridge you know Mm -hmm. uh but then there's also like coin ships and going through hyperspace and that kind of stuff and she's also and you know and also the planet is a character where the weather on Mm -hmm. the planet is a big deal and it's one of the you know it's that anchor that everything else is attached to uh yeah i i enjoyed this book much more than i thought i would like the the first quarter of it was hard but Mm -hmm. then it it got easier as i as i you know went through it can i can i make a comment for me it it was like reading ancillary justice the first time like i was intrigued by it i was intrigued enough to know that i'm going to finish this book but i felt absolutely zero urgency to finish it quickly yeah. So, like, that's the that's the kind of read it was. It's just because it's it's also like uh, the it's just it's, it's almost literary in how slow it is to like mm-hmm. unfold and to build and like there's just there's so much. I mean, there's so much that gets said, but it's not the so much is said with so few words. It's like so much is said, but it's said with a lot of words. <laughs> yeah, and it's said with a lot of words. And I I was kind of googling just to like see what other people had said about this and. Because I finished this book um, a while ago to also remind myself of what I had read. But people were like, hey, it's a really long book, but she doesn't waste her words. Mm -hmm. I I like that idea because it is wordy and it is long. And yet it doesn't feel as if any of it is long for the sake of being long or descriptive for the sake of being descriptive. Yeah, like it's it's all relevant. And it's 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 just basically it's an entire novel of show, not tell. Yeah, like full stop like that's what it is everything that is included is included for a reason it's so multi-layered and and one thing you didn't mention that i think is worth saying is that this is a a world that's built on technology that the people using it don't understand and like there's so many there's so many layers of like understanding of technology from like the summer culture which rejects it utterly to the winter culture which wants to embrace it but is basically too busy like being tricked by the marvels of the off-worlders that like the off-worlders it would be like giving them a camera you know right. like this is a piece of shit technology to us yeah they have they don't keep the locals entertained yeah they tinker with it and take it apart but they don't have the fundamental education to even understand what they're looking at so they're right kind of just and, and then inventors the, exactly yeah. it, but, but then the off-worlders themselves like yes they're flying like it you know th- like intergalactic ships through wormholes and like um things like that but they don't know really what the technology is or how to work it like like they they don't understand it they know how to work it but they don't understand it because they're the remnants of a prior empire that has fallen and most of whose knowledge has become like lost and so there's there's all these like different layers of of ignorance that you're sort of sifting through as you go through the the novel from and you see it from like 
How many different points of view characters are there? Like six or something like that? Five or six? Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah, so you see, you get to see a lot of different pers- and some and some people will show up and they'll get like a scene or two from their point of view. You know, others like the, there's five or six that are main like point of view characters. Um, yeah, but I mean, knowledge is power, and when you have when your main character is the the least empowered and the least knowledgeable, you have to have other characters. Otherwise, it's just going to be bumbling. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> that's um, not fun to read. I, I actually let's put a pin in that because that's kind of the first point I want to talk about with uh, this character of the Snow Queen. But let's run through the list of of main characters sure. um, first. So. Like, probably the three primary, like, protagonist characters would be um, Moon, the young summer girl, Sparks, her cousin, and Arian Road, the current Snow Queen. Um, and it's not much of a spoiler, like, established in the prologue, that Moon is Arian Road's clone. And Arian Road is basically trying to hang on to uh, power in one way or another, if nothing else, by, like, having a clone of herself who she knows will have her own talents and drives to train and teach and succeed her as the summer queen um, when her tenure is ended. And um, so then we also have a series of off-worlders. There's the inspector. um, Her first name is Jerusha, which is how I think of her. Um, But uh, there's also one of her underlings, who again, his first name is BZ. That's how I think of him. And then Nginnet, who is an off-worlder family but he's a third generation tiamat liver so he's never known anywhere else even though his family is from off-world um significant side characters elsevier is the witch woman figure and her um she's a smuggler and uh ends up taking moon on an intergalactic uh detour (laughs) um and here, let me like borrow you for five years, your time. It's three weeks, you know, subjective, five weeks, uh, relative, or, or back on Tiamat. Let's get a little forever war back in here. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, uh, her, I guess her co pilot, her Chewbacca is a her, yeah, creature her named. Yeah, Chewbacca. <laughs> is, and this is, this is like right after Star Wars came out. So, you know, um, her, her co pilot is a creature named silky who interestingly enough is on tiamat considered a hound that hunts the mares like that's what his species is uh the mares are like dolphins uh m-e-r for like latin c and then finally we have uh hern who was a former starbuck that's the name of the snow queen's consort uh and then a few like side characters in the capital city tor star hiker her awesome droid and yes, i love her <laughs> And Fate Raven Glass, who is a mask maker um, and comes in contact with both uh, Sparks and Moon at different points in their quests. So, yeah. Who's your favorite character? Um, okay, in terms of sheer enjoyment, Tor's droid. <laughs> Only because he plays, like, he, he's the fucking best troll in the, in the galaxy. Like... Okay, so Tor is kind of, um, I don't know, she's kind of a pathetic character. She's like one step above a street lady, like street swindler. But she has this droid that somehow like she won in a poker game, got contracted to her. I don't remember how she had it. And everything she ever says to him is she's like abusive to this droid, sarcastic as fuck to this droid, gives it orders left and right. All it ever says is, yes, Tor, or as you wish, Tor, you know, something like that. It's like Mm -hmm. the same response every time. And then at the end of the book, um, like... 
we find out that the Tor is actually like the super advanced like police spy droid that has complete like artificial <laughs> intelligence and autonomy and could have like snuck out of his contract at any point and like he's basically trolled her for five years and it's awesome. <laughs> he dislikes her is all. She's interesting. <laughs> well yeah he likes hanging out with her but also it's like he like it's a joke like that's his yeah. his, his droid joke is that he did that and like all the time that she's like bitching to him about her life problems he could have talked to her about it like he could have had that conversation and instead it was just whatever you say tor yeah you say tor <laughs> oh he was the best <laughs> um I liked all of these characters so much. Like, if you made, like, an epic miniseries with them all, like, Mm -hmm. you know how, like, when you watch Game of Thrones, it's like, okay, I like four characters and everyone else can die and I don't Mm -hmm. care. I was, like, invested in everyone. I didn't want anyone to, like, fail. I, like, even Hearn. I loved Hearn. Yeah, well, she did an amazing job of, like, putting everybody's, like, point of view out there and sort of, like, giving you their motivations and like their feelings and like why they're doing what they're doing and it like you got it it made sense yep yeah and how their lives sort of you know intersected and mm-hmm. and like oh jerusha's inability to like her her intimacy problems and her because she's so there's there's lots of stuff going on in the world but one of the things is that even though they have this queen it's kind of a patriarchal society. Mm-hmm. And so Jerusa has been made a police captain and no one respects her because she's female. And so she struggles and she struggles. And there's a lot of things that happen where, you know, she's being undermined by everyone else around her. So that's mm-hmm. what she focuses on. And she makes all these sacrifices for her career. And it always, it kind of ends up being a bad call to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she almost loses out on having like a real relationship uh, with her, with her buddy, oh, um, Ingenet, who has, who owns the, the sanctuary. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, it's it's worth it's worth saying that the um it's the offworlders who are patriarchal. It yeah. seems like Tiamat is actually a pretty like even to matriarchal society, but it's the offworlders who are extremely like patriarchal and condescending to all of the women. Um. And one of the the things I. Like it's it's a love hate thing with with Jerusha. Like she honestly, she probably is my favorite character. Like um, she's so frustrating. Overall, it's like, why are you doing this? Because because she's like trying so hard to hold on to her honor and her integrity, and so she's like actually not making the best choices for her career because of it. But you respect her so much for that. Like that even in the face of like the the worst odds, and she knows like she's never gonna succeed. Like there's a point where she like realizes that she's. Like, this is the apex of her career, and she's is never going to get better from here, no matter what she does. She still holds on to her integrity and says, well, I'm going to do not the best thing, like, not the best job I can do, but the best, like, honorable job yeah. I can do. Like, and yeah. that's, that's an important distinction to make. It's one of honor over, over anything else kind of choices. Yeah. I, I, I would give her the Ned Stark Award, except she gets a happy ending at the end. <laughs> But there's it a while the where you're wondering if she's going to get the Ned Stark Award. <laughs> I was shocked, honestly. I was like, somebody needs to show up and just hit her on the head. Like mm-hmm. She's just not capable of making good decisions. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I, I think I think what happened is that um, is that Moon actually gave her that uh, the viable career like advancement mm-hmm. choice because she would never, I, I don't think, for like her own personal like feelings have chosen to stay 
but because she's like well this world needs me and this is like also like a career move it might be like leaving the blue force and like taking a different place but like advisor to the queen is pretty damn like big step yeah, up much know? better than prison guard on the prison planet <laughs> exactly on backwater planet number three so. <laughs> um yeah so um okay so so the thing that i wanted to to bring up about arian road the current snow queen um is that she is um she's such like she's a she's kind of an evil queen but you but you also kind of like respect her as a visionary because she is this she starts as a figurehead and she's this ignorant basically ignorant country girl come to court like she's put in the costume and put on the throne and like basically taken advantage of and about the only thing that allows her to like overcome that is the water of life and that eventually she just outlives all the motherfuckers that like come to trade with her and she hears the same story and the same excuses and the same like deal breaking and backtracking and bullshit enough times that she's finally just starts saying no and she's like no i give zero fucks like you're lying to me i'll give it to the next dude who's standing behind you asking for the same contract hearing me say this to you and he knows better than to like lie to me and um so she starts um kind of amassing like power for herself but it's it is like you know stacked against her because she's on this one backwater planet that essentially has one valuable resource against this crushing like patriarchal society on the outside mm-hmm. i so here's here's the, the struggle that i had i didn't see her as a bad guy mm-hmm I had a really hard time with that because of everything that you just said. I'm like, she's just taking, she's just surviving and taking advantage in a situation that was, you know, pushed on her. Mm -hmm. And if she had been seeking to actually live forever, then that reads evil to me. But the fact that really all she really wanted to do was have someone that she, that she thought her plan was basically like, I need someone that I know will do the things that need to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, after the offworlders leave and we have 150 years to ourselves, I need someone who's going to enact the things that I need to happen in order for us to have our independence. Um, it just so happens that the, that the way she wanted to do that was different than what moon eventually would have done. But yeah, well, it's the same, it's the same plan really. Yeah, well, the, uh, the 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 funny thing about about this book is that Arian Rhodes' plan, like her original plan of I'm going to create this uh, clone of myself and then I'll bring her to the palace at the right time and like train her and like show her like wh- why this is important and why this matters. It, like that gets derailed when Moon ends up like getting caught with the smugglers and having to like escape off like off world. Yeah. Um, because so then she's like okay fine i'll live forever (laughs) she's like okay plan b i'm going to massacre all the all the technology hating summers and i will live forever fuck them all (laughs) it's not like i mean and that's the part that that you kind of feel like okay that's 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 kind of evil like i get it god i get the (laughs) utility of it like you're trying like you're like this whole world will stay steeped in ignorance forever and always under the boot of the hegemony if i can't break us out of it and so is it better to like save half of the world or none of the world and she's right. like she's willing to massacre half of the world in order to save half of the world and all of its future but, right, we're saying we're, it's 150 years of planning and then suddenly it's like oh all your plans have been for not you have two years mm-hmm. to come up with a plan b it's a pretty yeah. good plan b 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not knocking that. Like, she's brilliant. Like, she's, it's just like that. That's for me, like the part that it's, it's very, like it. I don't know where I come down, like on the ethics of it, to be honest. Because, God, you see her point. Like, you can't, like, kind of once you've actually like glimpsed the, it's it's old Plato quote. Like, a man's mind once stretched to an, an to accommodate a new idea can never go back to its old dimensions like once right. like she understands like the scale or she thinks she does um of of what's going on and the stakes and she's like i can keep this from happening again i can break this cycle so she's trying to be like the you know the one who breaks the chains and um so you even like going to that kind of ruthless extreme you can't can't like completely blame her or hate her or judge her for it but at the same time like damn dude yeah and and it's difficult because you know of course you don't want her to murder the summers the summers are 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 ignorant and they don't Mm -hmm. know that they're being manipulated and that their entire culture could is is basically a lie to ensure that there's somebody there to to you know destroy the technology but she upholds it. Moon upholds it. She shows up. They, they, you know, she does the ceremony. She becomes the summer queen, and she allows her predecessor to be murdered. <laughs> like, well, what's okay. her problem? Well, I, I think her problem. I mean, her problem. It's a was- rival. It wasn't about. It wasn't about Tiamat. It was about her. Um, maybe I like I I. Okay, so. In the first place, like she does, like she's already changing the ritual, and I, I actually get the the whole idea that you can only change the ritual so much, like each time, um, mm-hmm. before people will just like reject you and say this isn't the ritual at all, like you're illegitimate, you're not the true summer queen, and like do the ceremony of choosing all over again. Right. So I understand that she felt like there were aspects she had to go through with, um, and, um, so. Uh, I guess this is a good place to talk about it. Like, I don't know how widely this is studied because I never studied mythology like at the col- at the collegiate level, um, or, and I don't really know anyone who has to counter this with. So I'm hoping you have some some context. But there is at least like one major <laughs> like scholarly theory that most um, like classical mythology can be coded like is coded human sacrifice rituals and that that's how it started and that they slowly evolved to become like form like formal rituals where it's like it's play acting not actually doing it but that at at some point in human history those actually were like people being sacrificed like the whole seven year king cycle like yeah you got to live like a god like a king but at the end of it you actually died you mm-hmm. know and so that was in the back of my mind like the whole time i the power uh, corrupts yeah you know yeah. I, I i i was reading this that like basically to these people like there's it's almost a statement on how savage they are that they're still in the we actually sacrifice like our queen at the end of the cycle you know like we're, <laughs> we it's not just ceremonial it. we actually do it we, we put we put her in a cart drug her up and sink that motherfucker in the sea like or it's in the ocean you know it's it's brutal but like that was um but at the same time the point of that of that ritual sacrifice was that that's the only person who has to die like that like that's the idea is the god you know the gods must be appeased with blood um or you know if it's a cultural shift like this is the person who's basically dying as the champion on behalf of her people so that 
like the none of the actual winters themselves are need to be well, killed right and you then know. the danger of it i think i mean I, I think it's implied and tell me if i'm wrong but i think it's implied that the winter queens and the summer queens didn't necessarily always live 150 years they would just keep picking a new winter queen and then in the summer they would pick new summer queens but then they found the water of life and so they um, started to be able to live forever. And then it became necessary that it's like, oh, wait, you need to kill her because she knows too much. Um, I, you know, that was that that was a nuance that I didn't pick up on. Um, I'm not it might it might easily have been there that that was something that the offworlders like kind of uh, propagated or, or wanted. Um, I didn't feel like it was ever implied that the summer queens used the water of life, but that I felt like it was implied that the winter queens always did um, because there's some stray comment um, from, I I think her and of all people about how every winter queen had, had tried to hold on to power. Like it was just inevitable that the snow queen would try to hold on to power and it always failed. Like there was always, you know, whatever her scheme was, it always failed. Um, failed. I mean, I worry about that because I mean, it's, it's necessary that these people remain ignorant. And if you have someone who's 150 years old and who's been mm-hmm. part of the government and who runs the, you know, the, the myrrh killing campaigns, the harvesting, it's like they know the truth. They know why their, their planet is being kept in poverty and, and technologically stunted. Of course mm-hmm. they're going to use that time to try to gain independence or at least, you know, invent new, new stuff. You can do a lot in 150 years, but, Mm-hmm. It would become necessary for that person to be killed. Uh, I don't know. It's. It, I'm just thinking. Okay, well, this it's the same plot. Like, okay, now Moon <laughs> is queen. Now Moon has to convince everyone that they shouldn't destroy all the technology and that they should be educated and that and she's just going to use her power as a sibyl to do that. But she's only got like 40 years to do that, and then what? Right, unless she kind of corrupts herself and uses the water of life herself, which as a summer would be pretty antithetical because the mares are sacred to them and sacred to the the lady of the ocean. And, you know, the whole like the kind of the whole hegemonic point of you have to like the all you winters, you got to give power over to the summers is basically to allow the mare herds to regenerate (laughs) instead of like being hunted to extinction. Right. And then there's this other there's this whole other kind of like there's an a b c d this is like an e or an f plot where it's like (laughs) by the way um you know moon is a sibyl right and what does that mean oh it means that she's gotten some disease that makes her you know prophetic come to find out it's actually some sort of engineered virus that allows her to access uh how she does this i have no idea nanotech yeah it's like nanotech And she can now communicate with some sort of central computer in another part of the galaxy. And so now she's Wikipedia and you can just yeah. ask her whatever you want. And then one of the things that she learns is that the mare have been engineered. So they're not even a re- they're one, they're intelligent. So they've been killing an intelligent, you know, people mm-hmm. for their blood to so people can live forever. Um, but nobody can communicate with them. And everyone on the planet assumes that they're animals when they're not. Um, and that not only they are intelligent, but they were engineered. So they are a, kind of one step up from droids, I guess. Like, 
what the heck is that about? I mean, I, I know that there are <laughs> other books, so I'm clear, like, that's going to come into play. But, like, that's bizarre. Like, you would have had a good book, and then without that, but, but she but, just kind of stuck it in there. It's like, by the way, everyone's a computer, and there's this computer that no one understands because it's from pre- but- yeah, but that, I mean, but that's part of like the whole like previous galactic tech thing, and so it's like there's this like they put all of their information in the world into this database and like made like set up I guess genetics mutations you know restrained so that a certain number of, of people it on each planet would be able to access it and like eventually regain this lost technology, but but even like that idea got like yeah, it's like a backup. So, it's like a galactic central yeah. Like bioengineered archive backup of information, but then the people don't. You can't. The people can't access it. They have to have other people ask them the right questions. Right. So, like, I I think it was created with this idea that, like, yeah, people are going to know it's there and know how to like ask. And it like, but as with everything traditional, like that, like this was the main thing in the 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 Robert Graves is the uh, scholar on the mythology stuff. And the one thing that like he like he kind of emphasizes over and over again in the course of the book is that like when you have something presented as ritual, like you'll get bastardizations of it where the sort of face value is taken and then kind of corrupted or um, improvised on and people don't understand like what the meaning of it was. And so they're not even like, Mm -hmm. like they're not even corrupting the, like they're, they're not improvising on the right thing. And so like you get like six derivations later, it makes like zero sense unless you can trace it back through each previous derivation to get to the original. And then you're like, Oh, okay. So that was like a symbol for that. Right. And so like, that's what's happened with like the Sybils, like on, on Tiamat, they're like this religious order and like they're holy and sacred. And they think it's like that they can converse with the lady. And that's what they think they're doing. Like it's very religious and very spiritual. They have no, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and they, but they, other than the, like the very technical language around it, they just have no. Like, well, they don't know what technical language sounds like either. Well, like, yeah, that too. Because like when they go to the other planets, you realize that you know everybody knows that sibyls exist, but they know that they they know what they are, that they are right. thoughts of knowledge, so that they're really important. Whereas on Tiamat it's part of the culture. It's like, okay, yeah, they're a religious order. They're also crazy and violent and you should leave them alone and you can get sick from them and you should isolate them because they don't want people to access the knowledge that they have. And the fact that none of them know what, what technological language even sounds like, or right. you know, they don't even know what they're hearing is technological. It's like hearing biblical language. It's just weird. And you know, that, oh, it must be how the lady talks. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Um. It's just, it's a really bizarre kind of, that is the sci-fi part of the story, whereas everything else besides the coin ships and like the leaving and all that, you could just kind of pull that and just plop it into like a fantasy setting and it would work. Right. Um. So. <laughs> yeah, like it, it, uh, it is this, this weird sort of like mind fuck of is this, I mean, it is like it is science fiction, but like it's also kind of like that fantasy sci-fi. Like mm-hmm. it, 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 it occupies a very strange space, and I, I found it very kind of amusing that um, like a lot of the hashtags around this book are like hard sci-fi. I'm like, this is this is not hard science fiction. I don't think it was hard sci-fi even when it was written. It's like the only like quote I mean, it's hard not... science part of it is like the 
black hole theories and like the wormhole stuff like that's it you know i mean I, as maybe as like an anthropological study it's like hard sci-fi i mean you're right it's not like stemmy but it yeah I, okay you know it, what as you're right if, if 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 you're looking at it through the anthropological lens it probably counts like yeah I, I mean, I know there are people who are like, anthropology, is it science or is it a humanity? Whoa, whatever. I'm not here to to argue that. But I'm just thinking like, yeah, you're right. It's less about, it's less about how like nuts and bolts of like physics and how ships work and stuff like that. And more about like, well, how do people work and how can right. they be manipulated across like mm-hmm. epochs, you know, like, yeah. I don't, I mean, it's weird because we're talking about like the really big stuff and not like the really little stuff and there's a lot in this book that's little that's done really well. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think maybe this is one of those books where you kind of, if you're going to talk about it, you kind of have to put the big context out there and mm-hmm. like co- to contextualize the little stuff because otherwise you get like the really slow, like, again, it's a slow book to get into because it it's it feels so little at first. And you're just like, what is, what is this relating to? What is this relevant to? But like when you kind of like have the big picture and you know where this little thing fits here because of this, like, Mm -hmm. you know, I, and I, as I was reading it, you know, obviously there's lots of parallels with, uh, with like game of Thrones with, with the, the fact that the, the weather is weird and you have these really long seasons, but then where, you know, in game of Thrones, it's just that the seasons are long and it's fantasy. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to explain, but this is science fiction. So you have to explain Mm -hmm. it. It's because of the orbit around the sun and how they get too close to things. And that's it's not, it's, it's it's not an orbit around a sun. It's an orbit around a black hole. Black hole. I'm sorry. So that's why. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why it destabilizes like all of the wormhole travel. And I thought about this book because we're playing, um, mass effect andromeda and they in they have a black hole that's like taking over like half the galactic map uh-huh um and you it's you know it's like oh whoa you can't go over there you'll get sucked into the black hole and i'm like oh wow it's like it's like tiamat like if you get too close everything gets distorted oh my god can uh, i can i read my black hole section when you're done oh yeah um i was gonna yeah um but one of the reasons that the hegemony has to leave is because it becomes destabilized they obviously don't want to be um, cut off from the rest of the empire so they leave uh, and there are these great scenes where they get in these little ships that are like flat coin and that's you know that's the hard sci-fi part of this book mm-hmm. and she does it so she does it great it's it's very believable I don't understand how they work but it's great yeah like it, it's this um, like they call them coin ships and I, I think it's like essentially the idea is that they're like they're flat and so they like are falling through like the event horizon of a black hole <laughs> like and i don't yeah, know like I think that's what they're using to like you know and it's it, like if, if, it, if it flips like to either if it like can't to either side it's gonna like get sucked into the black hole and like there's this really visceral line about their 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 screams would echo down that well forever um, which I just I love so much, mm-hmm. it, and that's in the other passage I was debating which I'm going to read. So that's in the other passage, which is why I say it. And I think it's like they have to like basically navigate this thing to keep their ship completely like um, flat against the gravity well in order to not like go off course or not get sucked into it. And then um, you know the there's comments about how even so, like it's always a bit of a gamble and like you never know 
if you're actually going to end up where you expect to, or if you're going to like fall through and then be in a part of space that you didn't expect and can't get back from because you don't right. know where the fuck it is. Right. And which relativity is, also, is like, a factor. Yeah. 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 Which is also just kind of like creepifying. I'm just, oh. It was so great. So this is a uh, this is on the the trip. So on 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 their way out, uh, they have um, basically they trick Moon into being their navigator because their navigator's like desperately wounded. But that's part of what the Sybils do is they navigate the uh, the Black Gates. And so her first experience, like she doesn't know what it is. Her second, she's had training. It's been explained to her. She knows what she's doing. So. But the Black Gate was not the face of death, only an astronomical phenomenon, a hole in space punctured at the beginning of time, falling in and in on itself. The singularity at its heart lay now somewhere in another reality, in the endless day she imagined must be heaven for this night's dying sun. But around that unknowable heart, the fabric of space turned inside out in the maelstrom of the black hole's gravity well. Between the outer reality of the universe she knew, and the inner one of the singularity, lay a zone where infinity was attainable where space and time changed polarity, and it was possible to move between them unfettered by the laws of normal space-time. This strange limbo was riddled by wormholes, by the priordial shrapnel wounds of the universe's explosive birth and countless separate corpses of dying stars. With the proper knowledge and the proper tools, a starship could leap like thought from one corner of known space to another. Even with only a fraction of the black hole's total radiation showing on the screen before her, she could catch no glimpse of what lay at its secret heart. Because once light fell into that hole, it never came out again. The blinding glare she saw was an image frozen at the limit of this universe's perception. All journeys, of all things, that had ever entered this gate, ships, dust, lives, were suffused there in the red smear on the horizon of time, the scream of despair echoing across all the, electromagne- all the electromagnetic spectrum, echoing and re-echoing through eternity and i apologize for fucking that up because i had chills and it was so good <laughs> like it's, it's it like it's really it's uh, beautiful it's beautiful and horrifying like when you actually sit there and contemplate like what it means like like that it's glow also I'm this like a, just a huge like pendulum swing to go f- there from where you were mm. when she's mm-hmm. you know when she's running around thinking she's speaking to the lady and like and running on the beach and it's all about tactile sense and yeah and like, like what's real and what's not it's great yeah let's let's contrast this with the opening paragraph of the book here on tiamat where there is more water than land the sharp edge between ocean and sky is blurred the two merge into one water is drawn up from the shining plate of the sea and showers down again in petulant squalls clouds pass like emotion across the fiery face of the twins and are shaken off splintering into rainbows Dozens of rainbows every day until the people cease to be amazed by them. <laughs> like that's how it, that's how the book opens. <laughs> and so rainbows are mundane. <laughs> yeah, like it's um, it's a little it's bit like different a than like <laughs> like idyllic like island like beaches and like her you know her mother mm-hmm. is a is a sailor like it's all very yeah and she and Sparks like spend their days running in the sand and like finding shells and making necklaces and like having love and you know having love with her cousin so all right speaking of game of thrones let's just get this over with so because moon is a clone she's not actually first cousins with sparks right (laughs) 
And that makes and, it all okay. And it makes it okay, but they don't know that. So they don't she's, know that. A, you know, in this society, first cousins are completely viable partners. Mm-hmm. And this is also a society that's a little bit more carefree with sex. Like they're both supposed to be children of like one night stands where their mothers went into the city for like the last festival and like, you know, did it with people, whoever, and everyone was masked and then came back and then they're supposed to be special. Those babies are special. Uh, so, yeah, you no, know, no, no slut shaming there. Yeah. So it's not, we're not like dealing with like a, you know, like, uh, you know, yeah. westernized kind of. American yeah, there's an outlook about sex. Yeah, there's no there's no prudishness. There's no like um, expectation. Uh, like there might be expectations of monogamy, like once you pledge yourself to someone. But it it's definitely that sort of like con- you know kind of country raised morals. Like everybody does it in the hayloft, and it's fine. Right, right. As well, as you know, they're as- in love, and and they've been having love since they could do that, and. <laughs> You know, they figure they'll and they're best friends and they figure they're going to be together forever. And then like the first thing that happens that sort of brings them apart is that um, they both travel to find out if they could be siblings. And they think that, you know, because everything they do is together, that they would be both mm-hmm. chosen together. But only Moon is chosen to be well, she believes chosen to be a Sybil, which is interesting because um, the queen isn't a Sybil. Right. And I was reading kind of in the back of the version of the book I have is like a little mini interview with the author. And she was like, yeah, you know, the idea is like when you make a copy of something, it's not the same. Sometimes it, it it's just a little bit different. So apparently Moon is different enough that she is now susceptible to the to that nanotechnology. So she becomes a Sybil. And it's kind of genius because we have a 150 year old woman with all this experience mm-hmm. versus of like 14 year old like naive nothing of a girl <laughs> who can access a supercomputer and know anything she wants to know right she just has to figure out you know it's very it's just it's very space opera without the space part it's like planet opera <laughs> <laughs> um so i liked that i like that the kind of way that it swung between them because I don't think that they were necessarily opposites of each other. They, it's mm-hmm. more like a smudge, you know, like they're very much the same, but their experiences have dictated that they react and approach things differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, even Arian road has, um, has some thoughts on this where she's kind of looking at moon and she's like, you know, thinking I see the same like determination in her. And that's why, it has to be her is that I know that no matter what her experience has been, she has like that drive and like that fire and she will like make shit happen the way that I make shit happen. Mm-hmm. But like, I think it takes Aaron wrote a while to come to that point where she recognizes that this is a different person. Like, because I think Aaron Road really like feels like moon is herself for a yeah. long time. And, you know, like really kind of doesn't consider that she's had an entirely different upbringing, an entirely different world, and um, an entirely different life experience, even from what, like, Arian Road would have had when she became the Snow Queen, much less, like, the intervening, you know, 120 years, and, um, or 130 years, or whatever it's been, so, um, but, but I liked that eventually she comes to realize that, and, and Moon starts to see parts of herself in Arian Road, too, and, like, realize that, while I might not agree with all her choices, like i can't hate her and i can't hate you know her. Yeah. yeah even if she is doing her boyfriend 
Mm. Yeah, so let's, let's can we talk about Sparks? <laughs> yeah, let's like, talk about Sparks. Poor Sparks, the plot puppet, because, yeah. <laughs> like, this, this is, like, God. It's this great was... because it's, like, for once, it's a boy. Yes, yes. Oh, God, there's so many things I want to say. Um, okay, so Sparks, basically, like, when Moon becomes a Sybil, she chooses being a Sybil over Sparks, because he's, like, standing there at the mouth of the cave saying, I'm not being called, this shit's freaking me out, I'm turning around, I have to go back. Everything in me is saying no, and Moon's like, everything in me is saying yes. Sorry, Sparks, I've got to go. <laughs> it's kind of ditches him to be a Sybil. And, like, in her mind, she's like, we're already pledged. Like, that negates any of the, like, edicts about being with Sybils or, like, marrying them or loving them or whatevering them. Like, this is going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And um, Sparks doesn't see it that way. So he's, like, kind of in a huff, like, well, fuck if moon was the only good part of my life here in summer fuck that shit i'm gonna go ahead and move to carbuncle the capital city and like you know worst name for a city ever it's like calling it <laughs> zit or like <laughs> boil I... Or... <laughs> well i think that's maybe the point is that it's not necessarily meant to be an attractive place especially to a summer you know who are all like idyllic like oceans mm. and islands and this is like metropolis you know it's like it's a it's, I think it's meant to like evoke a shell. It's built like a yeah, spiral shell. Yeah, it's more shell. like Midgar because it's got like you know, layers. Yeah, yeah, but it's you know still like this metropolis that sits in you know in the middle of everything and is not country, not beautiful. Um, and so Sparks ends up uh, meeting up with Arian Road runs away and fit. Yeah. Yeah, meets up with Arian Road, and once, like, Moon gets taken up by the smugglers, and Arian Road's like, well, fuck, my plan is shot, and Sparks is like, well, fuck, so is mine, because that was my wife, you know? <laughs> he kind of looks at her like, well, I guess you'll do. <laughs> yeah, you look just like her, I guess it's fine. It's and weird, like, because he's, he's, I mean, I can see how it would work on his, uh, for him. He thinks that mm-hmm. Moon is gone, that he doesn't have access to her anymore, and yet this woman, yeah. this worldly, um aggressive and mm-hmm. you know powerful woman who looks just like the woman he loves is like hey I, I, you're cool uh, are you cool i'm cool and he's kind of like yeah let me get swept up in this and she mm-hmm. gives him power well i mean he he defeats the old starbuck that also p.s love that it's called starbuck so he defeats the old <laughs> starbuck you know in their weird flute dance in their weird flute <laughs> battle and- <laughs> i know it's just the weird. They don't even like really physically fight. I mean, they do. Choose your weird. weapon. <laughs> My shell flute, bitch. <laughs> it's so just like this is a story. Clearly, this is a story. Um, and, you know, so he but he gets power. You know, he becomes virile. He becomes mm-hmm. you know. He's a, a man. consort of the fucking queen. Yeah, and then she's like, "P.S. If you want to be with me, you have to go slaughter people whenever I tell you to." You have to go slaughter the thing that your culture holds most sacred. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, and and wear a really cool like mask that has horns on it. Yeah, and, and maybe and maybe some some pleather, you know. Like, oh yeah, the the outfits like, are just like oh my god, it's definitely 1980. It's definitely like weird BDSM bondage sex. Kink. Yeah, because it's described as like an executioner's mask, but like shirtless <laughs> and leather pants, and maybe there were some assless chaps somewhere. And I don't know. Got, like, and horns. horns. It's and so great. Like, and mirrors on every surface of his room. Like, he's, like, inside. <laughs> like, I'm like, what is this? Yeah, like, you were you were a kept man, my friend. 
like, I understand it from his point of view. I don't really get it too much from Arian Rhodes' point of view because it's like, you know, she had her and he was like the, her Starbuck for, I think, the longest of her 150 yeah. years. Because they don't, they live a long time, but they don't get to have as much as her because they're not the queen. So they don't live mm-hmm. as long. So it's possible that they die or that they get replaced when they're not, you know, when they get a little old. But but the next challenger. And yet Hearn is, he like seems to really actually love her or mm-hmm. is obsessed with her in his, you know, his herny way. And and yet he gets defeated by this like 15 year old fucking kid. And I'm like, really? You're attracted to like a 15 year old kid with a flute? Like, I just don't get it. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I think, I think what it is, is that at that point, like it was novelty and it was the fact that to him, it was, all kind of still new and so for a little while she was able to like remember that part of her life that she had basically forgotten where right like being you know where where she was new and where everything was new um and so i think that's what it was for her is that it was it was novelty and nostalgia and certainly like by a couple of years into their affair, she (laughs) didn't have any more respect for him than she had for any of her herns you know um but I love this idea that as soon as he puts on this executioner's mask, no one knows who he is. Like his his identity is secret. And I'm like, but they all look different. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, OK, that's that's cool. But I'm sorry. Have you ever been to a masquerade? You know, and I'm not talking like a Halloween party where we all pretend like we look like the actors playing people in movies, but like a genuine like masquerade. Mm-hmm. Like if you know someone like it all well, you like you recognize them, you know the shape of their ears, the sound of their voice, you know how they smell, you know how yeah, they move. Yeah, it's like when he like, puts on the executioner's mask, he gets like a level up in like four inches and like yeah. fifty pounds. I mean, <laughs> and, and, unless unless he's like the world's greatest cosplayer and actually like goes around and like does the Batman rasp, like hi, I'm Hearn, <laughs> you know, like the whole time and does other things, to, like it, it, like hide who he is like everyone fucking knows like it's like a, it's one of those public secrets where we all like wink wink nudge it no we don't know who Hearn is he always wears a mask yeah like, you know exactly right. who the fuck Hearn is come on yeah well it's also <laughs> just kind of like if p- the people in the court were just like oh there's her like little like you know fuck buddy like mm-hmm. who cares about him like yeah i guess they don't know that he but no everybody does know that he does the mer hunts or they don't is he just I don't know. Like maybe 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 we don't give Sparks enough credit. Maybe he's that good at playing like fuckboy and hi, I'm Hearn. Like he fools everybody, and they're like, "There's no way fuckboy Sparks is Hearn." Like what? Like at the end, (laughs) at the end, so they go and they find her. Like in you know, Starbuck is defeated by Sparks, um, and it is revealed that he's Hearn. And he's when he's defeated, he actually lives. He's just paralyzed, and he kind of goes off and becomes like a shitty bartender. (laughs) <laughs> and then they find him later on and well like is this weird this is this weird turnabout where like tor and her awesome droid come in because like right tor had kind of fucked over sparks when he first got to carbuncle so when he becomes starbuck and he realizes that starbuck's actual role is basically to like to spy among the offworlders for the queen um he's like oh shit i need i need a way to do this and so he finds tor and it's basically like hey you're gonna go spy in the offworlders for me and like tell me everything and that's how you repay me for like fucking me and like stealing everything i owned and like ruining my life right and so tor is like at that point afraid enough of him that she's like okay i'll do it and he he i forget if he tells her to find Hearn or like i think he does i think he actually tells her to go find Hearn 
and like befriend him and like help him like get back on his feet and like use him as a resource so it's like this weird thing where like Hearn is basically still being Starbuck but just giving it to Tor who gives it to Sparks you know right but at the end but he doesn't know they, he's doing they it come up with, when they come up with that plan and they go to Hearn and they're like hey mm-hmm. I'm Spark I'm not I'm not really a good Starbuck you're a much better Starbuck than me also I don't want to die <laughs> You want right. to trade places and go die for me? And then, like, they, he's like, yeah, I'm Starbuck. I've always been Starbuck. This is what I wanted to do. And yeah. then he, they, like, put the mask on him and put him in the in the cart with Ariane Road. And she doesn't <laughs> even know it's him until he starts talking to her. And she's like, wait, what? I'm like, what? I'm like, Sparks is, like, 15. He weighs 100 pounds soaking wet. I don't understand. <laughs> like, how did you not notice? He's also a different race. <laughs> like, <laughs> well... I mean, I think it's one of those things where, you know, you you give a little leeway to the pageantry of the moment. Like, she's distracted by the fact that she's about to die. She can't see a whole lot behind the walls of her ceremonial cloak, you know. And he's in his mask, and they're, like, tied back to back. So, um, but, oh, that was was such a great, like, callback to uh, Tale of Two Cities. I loved that. Like the, it, it is a far more noble thing that I do yeah. now than I've ever done. <laughs> it's like shut up, Hearn. <laughs> I loved him. He was great. He was like the worst. He was like the worst bartender. Because <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't be like I'm Starbuck. Everybody's like, yeah, yeah, I was Starbuck last week. Shut up. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but. Can we talk about the mask symbolism? So yeah, the so there's this there's this her name is Fate Ravenglass, which is just like the most D and D name I've ever heard. It's like <laughs> it's like someone just rolled her up over the weekend, uh, and she's this she's also a Sybil, uh, and she's blind. And she, her whole, like, thing is that she makes masks, and there's all these festivals, so that's kind of how she makes her living. But she makes she makes the mask for the queen. So she mm-hmm. made the winter mask for when Ariane Road um, ascended. And then she makes the summer mask. So I guess she's old as shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And then she makes the summer mask for Moon. Um, it You know, they cover the face and there's all these festivals that they go to where their faces are covered. And, you know, it's a symbol of like how it's the office and not the person and all this and all this stuff. But it's interesting that like, why is she blind? Like, I'm trying to figure out this character and how she works symbolically. Mm-hmm. Like, what are your thoughts? Um, Like, is she the real executioner? Like, why... She seems very important, and she seems like like you know if you don't have the mask, you don't have the this the ritual, right? Um, that's that's an interesting question. I'm trying I'm trying to think like if there are any specific um, like figures, like either witch figures or fate figures that I can recall from like you know classical fairy tales, classical mythology that that she might fit the mold of and well she's the one that kind of like picks up spark and like becomes his only friend right yeah i mean she's she definitely plays kind of um like a like a almost like like almost like the 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 role of the classical chorus you know or like Mm -hmm. where like she's she's a pivotal point for so so many characters in their journey where 
you know, she finds sparks and kind of like sets him off. Like she changes his, his path like one degree, but like mm-hmm. it has, you know, implications for like it changes everything like down the road. And um, she, she, I don't know, like, I don't know if she's meant because to. She's not, she's not a, a she's an offworlder, right? Because um, she gets to leave. Doesn't she get to leave at the end? I didn't. I didn't get that impression. I thought she was. Um, I thought she was just uh, an old woman who was basically like, "This is my last festival, and this is the last mask that I'll make." Uh, I thought it was because she was leaving, and that she was a Sybil, and that she came from off world, and she knew that that's where she needed to be. It was like she was like this weird Sybil that didn't perform like a Sybil uh-huh. for anyone else. Like she, no one asked her questions. She didn't do any of that. Like she'd only had like. Well, she had a very to... exclusive clientele. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There there may have been some of that may have been in there. Like <laughs> the details are already kind of. I'm hazy. just wondering if she is the 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 tool that kind of keeps the rituals going. Mm-hmm. I just can't refer. I'm like, if you are really that old, then you must be taking the water of life. Mm-hmm. Like you like I just don't think that she's as like this like nice old granny. I think that she's <laughs> Well, I mean you could you could you could very easily see her as like the the weaver of the loom uh kind yeah. of figure. And um she's like the whole, you know, like I don't know. I, I think there there are some I th- uh, it's been a long time. I think there are depictions of like fate or the weaver where she's blind and um she kind of goes by like like how the threads feel not Mm -hmm. how they look uh like that kind of thing and that was definitely um one of the elements of her kind of character is she's like you feel like you have a good heart like she could like without even seeing you she could see through you kind of right right Um, it just i felt like when i would read her i was like oh i like her she's this nice old lady and she's she's really helpful and she's keeping sparks from being a huge (laughs) asshole and then i'm like wait a second i have questions (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) well that's usually how that kind of a character works is you take them at face value and then you like step back and you're like wait a minute And apparently well, she was this amazing artist who made all these really great uh, masks. Yeah. Um, um, I actually pulled out the part uh, near the end of the novel. Actually, it's not even near the end. Apparently, it's at 70%, but it felt like the end. It felt like um, the end. <laughs> yeah. So it's when Moon goes into her shop for the first time and sees the summer mask. So it's kind of like seeing her future. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like a nice again when I say like the book does like the small scenes really well I mean this is a momentous scene but it's not like spaceships and and event horizons you know right. it's, it's just a little shop on the you know on you know on the street that sells masks so um, it says moon entered the shop blinked in the dim light as her eyes readjusted she saw boxes and baskets piled in precisely ordered confusion in the room's four quarters remnants of cloth face forms feathers bangles beads her foot skidded on a bead as she moved forward she picked it up carefully and held it in her hand the walls of the room were empty now but they bristled with hooks where a hundred masks must have hung like rare flowers until only two or three days ago the last wall space was not empty on it hung one mask all alone, and she, so- and she stood staring, transfixed by the shimmering vision of a summer's day, mist rainbows reflecting in pied pools, emerald velvet moss underfoot, 
and the green-gold silk of new grasses springing up on the hillsides. Hordes of wildflowers, fragrant with life, berries and birds' wings dappled with shadow, and in their midst a face of radiant innocence captive to wonder, crowned by the rays of the twin suns. Is that the Summer Queen? she whispered, awed. The woman turned to face it instinctively. That is her mask. Who she will be, herself, is still a mystery known only to the gods. To the lady, Moon said without thinking. Like, like, okay, this blind old witch. Okay, (laughs) cool. No one thought that was weird that she, that she was, I don't know. Seems like you need to have some kind of grasp of color theory, but. (laughs) <laughs> well, she wasn't completely blind. She like could. Oh, see- she did have like a little visor that helped her. Yeah, yeah she had a, she had a visor that helped her see, and she, for a while she had like sparks. Like, give me the black feather, Sparky. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, like he did. He help like make that mask for her. It's just kind of mm. yeah. That's- everything's portentous. Yeah, it, it's funny because one one of the highlights that I made, just like as a, a personal highlight, um, was. Uh, two paragraphs later in that scene um you know moon basically says um uh you've made her so beautiful when she's come to take your life away so i guess that's you know a reference to the point that if fate is like a an off-worlder um or even if she's not but she's using off-worlder technology the summer and selling her masks to off-worlders yeah you know gonna take all of that from her and thank you the woman smiled again proudly this time but that's the part any artist, that's the price any artist pays to lose a part of herself each time she creates something she hopes will live on after her. And I don't know, like just, you know, to me as someone who like who makes things, who makes art, I, I found that really like beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. It is like a very beautiful, like carefully like crafted, like novel. Yeah, like there's all these, all like there's a, a ton of moments of, of poetry. I think I have like 20 different notes, like just some little thing highlighted that just like struck me that was just so beautiful and like you know, even if it's just a sentence or two, just really haunting. Like it's so well written. Mm-hmm. It really is. I mean, I can see why I got a Hugo Award, even if it's just a, I mean it's not just a retelling of the Snow Queen but mm-hmm. it's kind of weird to me that something that had so many beats that already existed in like another tale and like granted Hans Christian Anderson doesn't didn't own the Snow Queen that was mm-hmm. you know a folk tale um but it's interesting that I mean I don't it, it's a classical fairy tale yeah and yet it, it's it's been reimagined and given new life and it's almost like the Snow Queen was giving the Summer Queen her like right you know I don't know it's great it, it even works if you look at the source material and then the ways that it has been reinvented yeah no um i mean it was just it was very seamlessly done it was beautifully done um yeah so we're like at an hour 10 um yeah so we should probably close up i do want to say we didn't talk about bz but like i struggled with whether or not i liked bz because he he existed in this like nice guy space yeah i did i liked him i ended up liking him he's just like a good person (laughs) yeah um my biggest problem with bz was trying to figure out if he was like basically just a a plot balance for sparks's affair with arian road so like yeah like both he and moon like had someone else you know like yeah um, moon sort of like fucks him out of pity though (laughs) (laughs) she's like this guy got hurt and he's obsessed with me i guess (laughs) 
I'm lonely tonight. I don't know if I'm going to die when I reach the city tomorrow. Okay, Yeah, she's like, but only for tonight. And he's like, okay, I'll take what I can get. And I'm like, pathetic, (laughs) BZ, pathetic. Yeah, and that's why she chose Sparks. If you'd said no, it's all or nothing, like, and made her think about it. Yeah, come on, BZ. You know. Um, God, yeah, like, there's so much shit we didn't talk about. Like I think we got through about a third. Of, I know, uh, but it is a really long book. <laughs> it's a, it's a long book, and there's so much here. Um, so, so uh, um, I guess is there anything else that you feel like you want to say or like want to sum up with or or need to ask about? Uh, I thought it was gratuitous to kill off some of those animals that her and BZ tried to save when they were sledging. Which, mm-hmm. by the way, made me think of Left Hand of Darkness. Yeah, like, like they're sledging which are road trip. <laughs> <laughs> we can't get away from them. I'm going to make you read that dragon fucking book yet because that's totally another winter road trip. <laughs> Great. Perfect. Yeah. No, uh, but nothing, nothing of significance. Okay. It's just sad when like those little birds died. <laughs> All right. So I have two, I do have two questions that I really want to talk about. They should be quick and kind of tie together. The first is um, in the story of Arian Road, is this a tragedy or a triumph? For Arian Road. I mean, her original plan did end up working. Yeah. Um, whether or not she was cognizant of that when she was dying, questionable. Well, she knew she recognized who Moon was and she knew that Moon had been off world. So I think her presumption was that this bitch gets it like it's all. Yeah, good. she gets that and she might be better than me or better or a mm-hmm. better version than the plan that I originally had. Yeah. Um so yeah, triumph in in the big picture, tragedy on a personal level for Arian Road. See, I actually don't even know that I, I I don't even think I can count it as a tragedy. Like I think that she went with peace, and when you've had 150 years and you kind of like go out still beautiful, still powerful, still beautiful. That's yeah, st- that was impressive. You know, <laughs> yeah, like still um, at the top of your game, and you're like kind of cackling on the inside, like my plan worked. <laughs> like I don't know, like. Go out on top. Like <laughs> I mean, yeah. And she she had her boy with her laughing the whole way. They deserved each other. Yes. <laughs> to get together for together forever, right, Arian Road? Hearn! Hearn? <laughs> it was mellow there is melodrama, y'all. No no joke. It was, it was good. It, it would make a really great like I'm sorry, they should not do those four dumb spin-offs of Game of Thrones. They should just do this. this yeah, do great. the fucking Snow Queen. It, it is and it's uh, like I've never met anyone who's read this book. Like it's fucking amazing. Like how has nobody read this book? It's like it absolutely lives up to its cover. It's so it great. It really does. And it really does. So my second question and I think this is a really good one to like sum up all, like all of our feels about this book up with. Okay, so obviously there are sequels. Um, I at least intend to, to read them and see what happens. But if there weren't, if like this book was the only one in this world, would you consider it a satisfying novel? Yes or no? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree too. Like my, I think my comment is yes. She offers enough. She offers just enough hope and direction forward for the characters. And for the world, um, my imagination had so much to work with to project, you know, 150 years into the future when the they get far enough from the black hole that the hegem- hegemony can come back. And, yeah. You know. And, and be and, like, hey, we're back. And then they could be like, fuck off, bitches. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. So I'm like, I'm I'm like, I'm excited to read this, the Summer Queen and also kind of like apprehensive because like, 
I don't know what's going to happen. Is it going to be what I want or is it going to be totally different? Yeah, I mean, it does. It's it's not one of those like crescendo and they lived happily ever after moments. Like in the last bit, you know, Moon looks to Sparks and she says, I'm scared. And he's mm-hmm. in and, and they pledge themselves to each other forever, even though they've both like seen some shit. So it's like mm, they may not actually be able to make this work, even though they've tried so hard and sacrificed mm-hmm. so much to be together. Yeah. So, you know, that there's a story there, you know, that there's that there's more to come. Mm-hmm. But it, if even if you never know what that is, it's a really satisfying kind of ending. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I agree. So anyway, thank you for uh, for reading it with me. Um, of course, I, I think I think this would have been a really like sad book to like read alone and then not have anyone to talk about it. With. Yeah, because <laughs> obviously it's there's those, a it's too big a lot here. There's so yeah, much it's too here. Too big to like just keep it to yourself. You have to talk to someone. Yeah, so may- maybe someday we'll have like a supplemental episode where we talk about the Summer Queen. We'll see. Yeah. yeah so. Um, so anyway, what am I? Yeah, what am I reading yeah. next? <laughs> okay, so in the grand tradition, and and you know we're two months off, so you know shit happens. But whatever, we're gonna go- keep going on the original schedule. <laughs> um, in the grand tradition of uh, fairy tale retellings. I am going to go back to YA because I can't stop torturing <laughs> you. Uh, I'm going to go back to YA. We're going to read um, uh, Sarah J. Moss and her okay. court books. So we're going to read the first court books, which is a uh, court of rose and... Oh, God. What's it called? Rose and thorns? A court of thorns and roses. A court. Yes. Thank you. A court of thorns and roses. Um, that's the first book. It is a retelling of Beauty and the Beast because that seems to be like our touchstone in this project. It always <laughs> keeps coming up. So let's just straight up read one. Uh, I am obsessed with these books. <laughs> all right. All right. Like you, can, you don't don't be so tentative. Pitch it, bitch. <laughs> all right. I'm um, drunk. I'm drunk. Sell me on this. Got, I've had like five right. drinks. Like I'm good. I'll read so, anything. Uh, these books. <laughs> First off, I have to say the first book that I read, I've read a lot um, of her other books, um, the Throne of Glass books, which I'm like, they're fine. They're like solid B plus books for me. They're wonderful. People really like them. They have strong female characters. But these court books, I really, really like. And even though I kind of hated the first one, and that's the one we're reading. Um, <laughs> it's just, she just, she does like this real great, just like, haha, look over here, boom. And then she just hits you with that second book. So I hope that you like it enough to where we can read those. Um, but it is a retelling of, and there's actually a character named Tamlin in it. So now that we know hmm. all about Tamlin from yeah. our, other, our other readings, um, we'll have a lot. I think we'll have a lot to say in what she does. I mean, it is a YA book. It's not as literary as what we've been reading, but it's really fun. Uh, it's def- definitely not as long as the Snow Queen, so you should just be able to power through. <laughs> awesome. Well, it's it's a book that has been recommended to me by another friend um, as well, and by Amazon as well. So apparently, yes. My, I mean, apparently, she's... all of my algorithms think I need this book in my life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you if you like me, and we both are like big Beauty and the Beast fans, and again, that movie had j- came out when we were like, yeah, let's read it. It'll go along with the fact that they just came out with a new Disney Beauty and the Beast. But you know, then my fire happened. Then so life whatever. Happened, so life happened. But we're gonna yeah. fucking read it anyway. 
but I hope you like it. That'll be our next one. So it's Sarah J. Moss, M-A-A-S, if you are looking for the book. Um, what's another great thing is that she's really interactive with her fans, and there's lots of cool fan art on Instagram, which I spent sometimes <laughs> quite a long time looking at. So <laughs> Awesome. Lots of hot boys and girls. So Awesome. Really. Well, I, uh, I hope that... In this case, the YA does not does not do me wrong. <laughs> well, again, it's YA, but it's that new adult YA. So there's like, read this fucking book. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that that usually uh, that that that's like a a letter grade up always. Just you always? know, in my opinion, yeah. like ninety nine percent of always. There there might be You're, an exception, but I'm predicting you texting me just like Rachel. <laughs> What am I reading? It's like, no, shh, shh. It's like, I re- like literally, I think one of the descriptions of one of them, of one of the characters is he was the most beautiful man I'd ever seen. <laughs> Just like. You know what? I've had those moments in my life. I'm okay with that description. Sometimes that's the only thing you can say everyone's very muscular and like, you know, it's just one of those. So anyway. Look, Rachel, I'm going to remind you. My issue with tarot Apoc- Starbucks. Okay. My issue, my issue with tarot apocalypse was not the chesty, muscular, most beautiful <laughs> dudes I'd ever seen. It was her goddamn decision-making process. It was so um, terrible. She did not have the survivor instinct. Thinking, which is why I'm thinking that you're gonna like this one because she definitely has survivor instinct. She yeah. does not. She's not Evie. As long she's, as she's not like the too stupid to live. I'm probably going to roll with it. No, she's definitely not too stupid to live. All right, then. (laughs) Well, we'll see. But uh, I'm optimistic. I still like those books. I don't care what you say. (laughs) Those tarot books are great. By the way, Rachel, um, just for you, I'm I'm opening my Kindle and I'm pulling up my notes. Let's see. Go to notes. Where's my note about... um, Oh. Yeah. Uh, Death had come to her again in a dream of deeper darkness and asked her, Who owns your body, flesh and blood? And she had whispered, You do. The note that I I put there, Team Death. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Team Death. (laughs) And with that, I bid you adieu. (laughs) Happy reading. Indeed. (laughs) Bye. Bye.